Welcome to the Epsilon Theory Podcast with Dr. Ben Hunt. Please stay tuned for some important disclosures presented at the end of this episode. Welcome back to the Epsilon Theory Podcast. Ben, it's been... It's been too long. It's been too long. I think July was the last time we did an episode. And the world has changed. We had a few hurricanes. We had some hurricanes. Yeah, that's that's right. That's right. Apple came out with some new products. Literal and uh, and metaphysical hurricanes. Yeah. For for, for sure. And uh, so there's another... uh, storm brewing on the horizon. You've been getting lots of questions about inflation on your Twitter feed, at Epsilon Theory, uh, and uh, from, from readers, from, from clients as well. So where, where, where's your thoughts on inflation right now? Yeah, well, look, first of all, I, I mean, the, I'll say the, the hiatus on the, on the podcast has been really driven because been trying to, to write a lot more. You've been doing uh, something every week almost. Pretty much, pr- pr- pretty much. And uh, my partner, Rusty Gwynn's been writing and uh, Neville Crawley's been writing on technology. So we've really been focused on on getting that critical mass of, of content on a regular basis uh, out there. But, but I wanted to do a podcast again, both to talk about what I think is a big change, uh, really a sea change out there. Uh, and in fact, it was Related to, I think, the last podcast we, 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 we had where my view is the, the Fed really turned the barge around in a, in a major way to, to move towards tightening. And I was talking then about they were thinking about wage inflation coming down the pike. And there have been some significant developments, and I want to talk about that today. right? But then there's the, 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 the larger picture of, of where I want to go with all of this, the podcast, the writing, everything. And uh, it's why I just wanted to talk with you about this today, Michael. And uh, I can't wait to hear what you've got up your sleeve. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, but, but we'll start with the here and now, right? We'll, we'll start with this, what I think is a, a real inflection point. Not, not in the real world, not in the real economy. I think that inflection point happened a few months ago where uh, there, there really is a, a notable uptick in global economic activity. Uh, continued uh, uh, hiring and economic activity here in the United States. So with the, you know, the first week of, of this month, September, we saw the, the, the ISM, uh, the Manufacturing Survey of Purchasing Managers. I'll talk about that in a second. But it's kind of like the gold standard of what's happening in economic activity in the United States. It's at a five-year high. It's at a five-year high. So there's there's this in the real economy. What I'm describing these inflationary pressures have been growing for quite a while. But what I've noticed the change, and this is what I wanted to talk about today, is now there's a change in the narrative. Now there's a change in the messaging that what we call in game theory the missionaries, right? The the, the prominent um, news people on CNBC, journalists. Um, uh, politicians, which certainly include central bankers, right? The words they're using, the language they're using, it's really changed just over the last six to eight weeks. And I think that's so important for figuring out now what's going to happen in markets. Because I get kind of this question all the time, so, well, you know, how can we have inflation? You know, look at the yield curve, look at how flat it is. And my response to that is that something like the yield curve, something that reflects market sentiment, because that's what it does, right? That is reflecting market sentiment. Market sentiment follows the narrative. 
market sentiment follows the narrative. What happens, the way this process works, right, is that the missionaries come out, they speak, they create the common knowledge. And it's as that common knowledge filters through the crowd, the crowd listening to the missionary speak, realizing that everyone in the crowd heard what the missionary said. That's the core of the common knowledge game, right? It's not what the missionary says. It's not the crowd listening to the missionary. It's the crowd looking around at the crowd. So, you know, funny I was, I was at the um, uh, uh, London uh, last week giving a, a, a talk to a group. I'll, I'll come back to this in a second. But I got a chance to go to one of my favorite places, which is the Tower of London. And, uh, you know, they had the, the hill outside the tower where they had all the executions. Uh, and what was, I, I, you know, I've, I've written a little bit about this, but the, 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 but the purpose of, of having a big crowd, and they had huge crowds, you know, it'd be right. a, a day-long event right, with the buskers and, you know, selling food and drink, you know, come see the hanging or the, the actually outside the tower, they, they did the uh, beheading. It wasn't the being drawn and quartered, which is a really gruesome way to go. Much more... Uh, Not my favorite. Yeah, yeah. Urbane there at the, at the tower. But it'd be a crowd of thousands. And public executions, in the same way that you have public coronations, they're not there to see the event. You have a big crowd there so they can see that there's a big crowd there. It's a measure of social control. It's a measure of social control. Is that why Donald Trump's obsessed with audience size? I, I think it may well be, which I think is absolutely brilliant of the man. Hmm. I, listen, you know, it's, it's easy to make fun, right? When he talks about, oh, well, you know, the co no one's improved their brand more with these hurricanes than the Coast Guard. And there's a brand, Coast Guard, what are you talking about, the brand of the Coast Guard? He's totally right. Yeah. He's totally right, right? So, so populist rulers instinctively get this. It's not about the crowd watching you. It's about the size of the crowd and then telling the people what a big crowd it is. Seriously, yeah. that's the key, to tell the people what a big, great crowd it is. Right. So it's exactly the same way in markets. It's exactly the same way in markets. And what, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, I don't know what the truth of inflation is, I don't think anybody knows what the truth of inflation is. I think that, uh, you know, inflation has been mismeasured and, well, mismeasured. It's been measured in a very specific way to generate a very specific result for a long time. Right? So, you know, even th though things cost a hell of a lot more today, we make adjustments to it for how much more for the money you're getting. Right? So, so you mentioned, you know, Apple releasing, you know, the new iPhone today. Well, even though it's what a thousand dollars, nine ninety nine, right? I mean, decimal point after the third nine. <laughs> it, it, exactly. It, in terms of inflation calculations, I'm not sure that's inflation over a two hundred dollar smartphone, you know, six years ago, because you can make the argument that oh, there's so much more usefulness to the smartphone today, so that you know it's really not inflation once you take that into account. Now, of course, you can't eat smartphones, right? You're, you're, it's a, that's a, that thousand dollars is $800 more than the $200. Right. It really is. Right. But, but this is the way, and this is why I mean where I don't know what the truth of inflation is, but what I do know and what I do pay attention to is what's the narrative around inflation. So case in point, 
first Friday of each month, uh, you get the big jobs number report. And um, this Friday, the first Friday of, of September, it was a disappointing jobs number. It was disappointing both in the total number of jobs added, about 150,000 underneath expectations. And for me, at least it was a little disappointing in, in what we're really focused on when we think about inflation, What's what was wage inflation. Came in at 2.5%, which has been pretty steady at for uh, about five or six months now. And in fact, it was 2.5% on the first Friday of August when that jobs report came out. But here's the difference. The first Friday in August, jobs report comes out, wage inflation is 2.5%. Go back, if you care to, look at how that 2.5% was described in the headline articles of the Wall Street Journal. Words like disappointing, muted, even though it beat expectations. Right, so, so these, these numbers all have expectations that you, know, you can get on Bloomberg or anywhere else where they say, we, here's what the economists, you know, ask 40 economists and you know, get the, take the average. That 2.5% number was better than the expectation. But you wouldn't have known that from the way it was described, the way it was put into context for the readers of the Wall Street Journal. It was put into context as being a very disappointing number. Same number, first week in September, which to me was a little bit disappointing. It didn't beat expectations. It matched expectations, right? But the words were totally different. It was not described as being disappointed. It was described as being rather robust. That was the quote, rather robust, right? In the headline story, the little paragraph you get, the blurb for the, 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 the online story. So it changed? Well, a couple of things change. Uh, there is... There's, there's both a need, a desire, both commercially and politically, to create this story of inflation, what we'll call reflation. This is what the Fed wants. They want to declare victory, desperately want to declare victory. It's what the White House wants more than anything in the world. They have to create this story uh, particularly wage growth. That's the other thing that I, I wanted to call people's attention to. So in that, that press conference, the, 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 the famous press conference after Charlottesville, where Trump is there with Gary Cohn and Nuchen standing next to him and looking increasingly uncomfortable as he starts off talking about infrastructure spend program, but then goes off on his, you know, both sides and all the, the just the insanity right, the, the, that he was speaking, right? If you watch that, that clip all the way through, at the end he goes off and in between talking about, oh yeah, I own a winery near, you know, Charlottesville. Right. I know the area really well, right? There's your common man, right? right? But he's talking, he starts talking about wage growth. Go, I mean, if you get a chance, go back and listen to that. It was really striking to me. In so many speeches of late, the White House has been talking about the need to have wage growth, right? So the White House needs this to continue making their populist argument leading into the 2018 elections. They are desperate to have this narrative created. And that's the same for any Republican in office today. This is the narrative you want to have created. At the same time, the street, Wall Street, is desperate for this narrative too. Why? Because what the street always needs is what's next. What's next? We've had an enormous run in the market. 
particularly in, people call them the fangs, we can call them growth stocks, we can call them tech stocks. Right? Enormous run in the market on this, which has taken the S&P, particularly the NASDAQ, to new highs. But for the market, right, you can't just coast. You can say, you can't just, you know, shake your hands and say, oh, well, okay, that was good for the year. No, it's always what's next. So what the street needs is this reflation. That's the word they use, not inflation. They call it, for whatever reason, reflation. Sounds better, right? Sounds better to call it reflation than inflation. They need this argument. They need this narrative because that's what supports banks, the financials, which have been the laggard as tech stocks have run up, right? When you talk about what's next, the narrative is, oh, it's banks, it's financials. What's going to drive the financials up? What's the why? Oh, we've got a steepening yield curve. We've got uh, inflation, and so rates are going to go up, and so the yield curve is going to steepen for the right reasons. The economy is going to get moving again. So you've got, what you have is this combination, right? You have this combination of the real world. Growth really did pick up some months ago. But now, and this is the critical thing, the story is changing. The missionaries of the Fed, the street, and the White House and Congress are all in unison. They want to change the story. And what they're doing is they're creating what I've referred to as fiat news, right? It's, it's, it's information like the 2.5% wage growth. That's the fact. But the, the, in the same way we talk about fiat currencies, the construction of a message, right? We have fiat news where you're constructing the context and the message around it. And we as human animals, we are hardwired to respond to that. That's the game theory. That's the common knowledge game. And that's what I see happening right now. How are you going to combat that? Well, there's combating and then there's coping, right? So, so, so as an investor, right, and, and, and I think that's the first thing you need to think about is, well, how does one think about your portfolio in a world where at least the story, the, the, the inflation narrative is taking hold? Right? And so that's, that's not going to be pretty for really most fixed income issues. It, it, it is, it's going to be actually, I'm going to say, difficult for tech stocks. Because at the same time, it's, it's not just the inflation, it's what's the reaction to the inflation? What's the reaction of the Fed? And this is what I was talking about a couple of months ago, I think on that last podcast we had, about how the Fed had now turned the barge around to move from easing to now tightening. They've got two ways to tighten. One is by raising interest rates. The other is by selling what they've been buying over the last eight years, or not buying to replace, uh, allowing their balance sheet to run off. It's that second tool that I think it started this month, right, about the time this, this podcast is going to come out with the Fed meeting, where they start rolling off their, their balance sheet. And I think they will hike rates again, and they'll hike rates again and again if inflation picks up, and you've got now a story that allows them to do it. But here's what I wrote about in some of these recent notes. I don't think that's going to tamp down inflation. On the contrary, in exactly the same way that all of these extraordinary measures 
that we've seen in monetary policy. Zero interest rates, negative interest rates, buying everything under the sun, what's called large-scale asset purchases to try to, try to, to drive up, to intentionally try to drive up financial asset prices. That was the tide coming in that brought up lots of asset prices, but it didn't do anything in the real economy to create inflation. It didn't. What I'm talking about, the real world inflation that I really see picking up, picked up about six months ago all over the world, it's, it's not because of central bank policy, right? It's despite central bank policy. It's despite it. And that's why I think that the Fed, other central banks like the ECB will take moves to tighten, thinking, oh, we got to you know, keep that inflation genie on the bottle. With rates at zero, look, rates can go up to 4% before we get any real tightening impact. I think that as the Fed normalizes, you actually get a return to risk taking in the real economy, and which actually increases inflation. So what I'm suggesting for readers is to, to, to think about this a little bit differently. Right? In the same way that over the last eight years, the big question has been, why can't we get inflation? Why can't we get inflation? That's the question central bankers have asked themselves. I think over the next eight years, the question is going to be, why can't we control inflation? Why can't we control inflation? And that has a big impact for how we need to think about our portfolios, right? because it all boils down now to pricing power when you're thinking about individual companies, whether you're thinking about their debt or you're thinking about their, 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 their equity. Uh, it all boils down to, on, on the side of countries, right? How are they handling their debt? You know, these are things we haven't had to worry about in a deflationary environment where nominal growth, that's the thing about it. So in a deflationary world, nominal growth, just a price going up from time one to time two, it's the rarest thing going, which is why any sort of nominal growth is so rewarded by markets, where you find it typically in tech stocks, right? Where you've got growth. You don't have necessarily earnings. You, it doesn't matter what your PE ratio is. What matters is, are you growing? Because that's the rarest thing in the world in a deflationary environment. In an inflationary environment, on the, on the other hand, Nominal growth is everywhere. Prices are going up everywhere. And so that's why it's going to be a very different environment than we've become accustomed to as investors. It's a slow burn, right? This, this takes a long time to play out. But three months ago, we saw, the, I think, the, the real world start to change and the Fed start to talk differently. And now, just over the last four to five weeks, I've really seen the other missionaries that drive narratives and markets, they're picking up the, the storyline too. So it's, 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 it's time to prepare for an inflationary world, I think, or at least where you've got a story about it, in the same way we've had to live in a deflationary world for the last eight years. You've, you've talked a lot about uh, in the past that you, you can't have a conversation about markets without having a conversation about politics, and it seems more and more evident that, that, that they're intertwined closer than ever. It's crazy, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, I mentioned going to this, this London conference, and it was a, a wonderful conference. I really appreciate being invited. It was a, a group of uh, CIOs for global insurance firms. Small group, probably about 30 people there in the room. But uh, you know, the AUM there was, you know, had to be well over a trillion dollars. Right? 
And the, 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 the conversation, the, the, the presentation, the, the, the keynote talk was about technology, was about big data and uh, what I call big compute. You know, we've had some podcasts mm -hmm. on that. And I also sat in and, and, and led their, their uh, macroeconomics uh, panel that they had there. What these guys, and unfortunately were almost all guys, right? Uh, what these guys wanted to talk about was politics. And the link between what's happening in capital markets and what's happening in our political markets is that both are being dominated by narratives. Both are being dominated by stories, constructed stories. It's a little bit different in, 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 you know, in politics, we call it fake news, or as I like to call it, fiat news. In, in markets, it's, it's just what I've been describing. It's, it's the way in which a 2.5% wage inflation number is placed into a different context one month to another, depending on what the, the goals are of the, of, of, of the missionaries here. But it's the common denominator that we all feel. I don't care if you're the CIO of a you know, $500 billion insurance company or if you know, you're, you're, you're like my mom who's a retired school teacher you know, living on a pension. We, we, we live in the real world and, and we get a sense for what's happening in the real world. And then we're told what the real world is like, and we don't recognize the connection. We know we're being played. Now, for those of us in the biz, you know, this is what I mean about being an effective player, the common knowledge game. You, listen, to be an effective player, you got to go along with the game. You got to go along with the story. But what I think we need to do, and this is, honest to God, this is what I want to devote my life to, is promoting freedom of thought. Where if you're being played, at least you know you're being played. And what I want to really try to encourage, and something I wanted to have just this one-on-one -on -one podcast with you now after this kind of long hiatus, I've got some ideas on how to encourage that freedom of thought so that we can invest based on our own decisions, so that we can vote based on our own decisions without being captive of these narratives and these stories that we are inundated with. Don't people harass you all the time for, what do I do, Ben? What do I do? What's, what's the call to action? What do I do? Yeah, yeah, and this is, this is, this is what I'm trying to respond, I'll say, against. Because the last, the thing I, well, I, I've, got, I've got my kind of stock answers for why I don't recommend stocks or funds or anything like that. The first answer is, well, you know, there's an entirely different compliance regime to do a podcast where you're recommending some investment. You don't have to tell me twice about yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You're, you're immersed in that, right? And, 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 you know, life's too short. You know, I'd rather put out my eye with a rusty spoon than, you know, go through that, right? So that's answer number one. Answer number two is, you know, actually manage money, right? I'm a portfolio manager for a private fund and a, you know, a registered fund that doesn't, we don't report our positions on a, on a daily basis. So I can't get out of here and talk about them. That's, uh, that, that would be bad, right? Yeah. But, but, here's, but here's the thing, Michael. Even if neither of those constraints existed, 
I'm still not going to get out here and talk about buy fund X instead of fund Y. In the same way, I'm never going to get out here and say vote for candidate X instead of candidate Y. Even though I got to tell you, that is the, that's the easy money, right, in, in, in the business of investing or the business of politics is to, you know, join one of the tribes. In politics, you know, give me my blue flag or give me my red flag, but let me get out here and be an advocate for that, right, to join that tribal conversation or argument. I have zero interest in doing that because I think it's a destructive, well, it's necessary, I get it, I, I get it. But there's bigger game afoot. The bigger game afoot is to encourage and find ways to get each of us as citizens, as investors, to decide for ourselves without being, you know, we're always going to be played, we're always going to be influenced. But the role of Epsilon Theory to date has, has, has really been to try to get people to recognize that we are all being played all the time. And it's okay if you go along with it, but it's not okay if you're the sucker. It's not okay if you take being played into your heart of hearts. And what, what I want to think about going forward is, is, is how to go even beyond that. How do we encourage that behavior, not of voting for candidate A or candidate B, or buying stock A or stock B, but how do we encourage that behavior of thought freedom? I've got an idea. You want to hear it? I'd love to. Okay, okay. This is drum this is, roll, so, please. Yeah, drum roll, please. Right, and and it's, it's something I've I've really been wrestling with over the last month or two, because I've been been thinking about that common denominator, that common denominator of narratives and fiat news, and how it is really, I I, I mean this word is perverted, right? Both our investing behaviors and our voting behaviors, our participation in both capital markets and political markets, and. What I think is possible today, when you've got a megaphone, like I think Epsilon Theory has become, when you've got technologies like I've talked about with the natural language processing of big compute and finding the connections between, between things, when you've got the technology of a blockchain, which has a really interesting role in what I'm going to describe, what I'm talking about is trying to find a fiat news, a fake news killer. That's how I want to try to encourage freedom of thought, to, to provide a repository of unanalyzed, raw, uncontextualized political speech, political and market speech. It's the, some people are familiar with this, so it's the anti-Vox, right? So, so Vox is this, this, this media um, organization, right, that, that, that believes what people want is to be told opinions. They need the news interpreted for them. No, no, it's absolutely the opposite of that. What we need in this world, you know what we need in this world? We need C-SPAN. I love C-SPAN. Right, we, what we need is, 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 is C-SPAN. Now, now C-SPAN and all these things, they're, they're impossible, right, because they don't have the scope of information you need. They're not searchable. They're not discoverable, which to my mind is, is more important than search. Discovery is more important than search. And more than that, they're not unalterable, which is the piece that blockchain gives. All right, use case for you. Here, yeah. take, take this idea, take this okay. idea. All right, 
you go to a political rally of a candidate you love or maybe it's a candidate you hate. And I'm local level, state level, doesn't matter. I want it all. I want it all. It's the local dog catcher. It's a school board member. It's a congressional race. It's a state uh, Senate race. It's a, a U.S. Senate race. It's a presidential campaign. You go to that rally, that speech, you film it. You film it on your, you know, thousand dollar, you know, iPhone X or whatever it is. Right? Are they calling it an iPhone X or iPhone 10? Uh, ten, uh, X. X. Okay, good. Yeah, or oh. 10. I, I don't know. Yeah, see? <laughs> see? Support it, right? I'm sure they've given a lot of thought to that. Anyway, you film it on your iPhone. What do you do with that film? You upload it to the the site that I want to create. What are you going to call it? Well, so, so I, I, here's the name I've got. X-E-X Populi from the people. From the people, we'll call it X Pop for short. Okay. All right. It's got a nice ring to it. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so, 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 so you upload the, this this video. Why? Because you want to be a citizen. Because you want to do more than, you know, write an angry post on your Facebook page. You want to participate. So you upload this video. Mm-hmm. Thousands of people upload videos from all these races all over the country, every level. And what happens when you upload it? Well, it doesn't get analyzed. It doesn't get editorialized. It doesn't get interpreted. What it becomes is searchable, discoverable, and unalterable. It's never going to be photoshopped. It's never going to be taken out of context. It's never going to be clipped. None of that is happening. Now, the first two of those, the ability to search and discover related content, comes through natural language processing. Right? So there's this... this Technology has been around for a while. It's basically you take a, a, a transcript of the audio portion of the video, and then you apply all these tools of natural language processing and the AI around that to um, uh, compile, index, uh, tag these videos. But it's the, you're tagging the audio portion of it, so you can tag the entire video by your analysis of the, the transcribed audio portion of the, of the video. Can they detect sarcasm, jokes, that, that, that tone that you might get at, at a political rally, for example? So the short answer is yes, absolutely, right? But you usually do it by word uh, choice and propinquity as opposed to tone or the like. When you really think about tone, that, that, that's, a, that's a kind of a different thing. But we're just using this to, to make linkages. We're not saying that this that the that the audio transcript is the event. The event is you watching that, but you can go directly to the portion of the of the the video you want to see. It's it's, it's how you do really search in, in, in videos today, right? Is this is natural language processing techniques on the audio portion of of, of the video, um, and you can add to that your own tagging and metadata as well. But again, what it, what it allows is not just the search, not just to say, oh, go to the portion of the speech where the candidate is talking about uh, immigration, right? But it allows you then to link every speech that candidate has made, every speech that's been made in that geography or that race, every speech that's been made on that topic that you're interested in. So, yeah, sometimes I, I can't believe I still watch the show. I, I still, I, I still watch The Daily Show every now and then, right? It's still on? I know, I know, I know, I know. Like, the, the, the segments that I find fascinating are when they've got, like, I don't know, Mitch McConnell out there, and he says something 
in a speech that he gave last week. And then they show the clip of him saying exactly the opposite thing six years ago in a speech. And what I thought was, you know, who the hell put that together? That's amazing. That's a phen that's phenomenal that you remembered or you were able to find that speech and put that together. What I want to do is to put that tool in the hands of every citizen in the world. Wow. To make those kind of linkages. And this part about being unalterable is really important, right? Because what my, my goal here is not to be a it's not to be a pirate site. There's no commercial speech on this. This is this is non-commercial speech, common knowledge speech, right? So it goes back to the whole notion of what epsilon theory is, the, the common knowledge game, where somebody, a missionary, is giving a talk to an audience, right? That's gathered there for the purpose of hearing what that person has to say. It's not for monologues. It's not for your muse or my musings on X, Y, or Z. It's for, it's for political news, right? Non-commercial speech. But it's not intended to be a whistleblower site, right? This isn't WikiLeaks. Because that, the purpose of WikiLeaks is too narrow. Whistleblowing is too narrow. I want all of it because that's what the technology allows today. I want every public pension fund board meeting that's being recorded today. They have to. They record it. They put it up on their website. Mm -hmm. I want that. I want every city council meeting. I want every school board meeting. It's being recorded right now. It just kind of floats off into the ether on these websites or the like. We can put that all together and make all of it linked, searchable, discoverable, and unalterable. It's that unalterable part that I think is the key to this. I think we're going How to... How do you do that? Well, this is what blockchain does. So it's, it's the... I used to collect baseball cards. I still collect comic books. Right? And, and so what, what you do to kind of prove the provenance, the, the authenticity of your card is you send it to a, a, uh, an appraiser who, valid, who, who substantiates, yes, this is a real you know, Pete Rose rookie card. I'm making that up, right? And so how do you keep it? How do you know it? You slab it. You literally put it in a piece of plastic so that it can't be altered. It can't be changed. You can't, you know, have fun with it like you were with a kid with a baseball card, but you've now you've now slabbed it. And that's what blockchain does, right? Blockchain creates an unalterable provenance, a transparent, unalterable provenance or history of that piece of content. And you combine that with some uh, technologies available today to, I'll say, make sure that it wasn't Photoshopped kind of coming into you, to be, to be that appraiser, and then to slab it, but you're using blockchain, using it digitally, not with plastic like you were with a baseball card. And then, right, you're, take this as an example. You're a, you're a, you're a police department where your, your, your officers are wearing these body cams. Now, I realize there are a lot of legal hurdles with, with put, making that data publicly available, but the, but the biggest hurdle for it is that, the, is that it be, is, gets taken out of context. Right. Right, it gets taken out of context. What I want to provide is a site where people want to provide their political speech because you know it can never be taken out of context. And, and I think that, that if you that that's how you create the fake news or the fiat news killer, where you're not in a bubble chamber or an echo chamber 
where you're being inundated with the constructed messages of the red team or the blue team or this Wall Street firm or uh, you know, that Wall Street firm. But instead, you're getting the, the, it is, it's the raw information, it's the raw speech that's being made and it's not being interpreted for you. You know, you're, everyone listening to this, every citizen of the United States is damn well smart enough to figure out for themselves what somebody is saying, what they mean when they say it. And that's what I want to provide. And, and that's my dream. That's my dream. And I, I want to take this opportunity to talk about it. And I, and I want to, look, there's a lot more that goes with this. I think we can have a, because a, a, we're using blockchain here to, to, to slab the content, I think you can do a, a, a token you know, like an Ethereum, you know, that's all the rage right now to do an ICO or the like. I think you can do it with this. Not to make money on a for-profit deal. This, this, this to me, this is a, this is a foundation. This is, this is, this is, <laughs> this is my dream, right? To, to, to provide this, this, this um, utility. It's always like Wikipedia is, right? Which I think has changed the world. I think the way the world needs changing right now is a, is a place, it's a safe place where we can make our own decisions, where we can have some freedom of thought. And I think right now we've got the technology and I think we've got the desire, the hunger for this in everyone I talk to, whether, again, whether it's that CIO of a $500 billion insurance company or whether it's my mom on a pension, there is a hunger for having freedom of thought. And that's what I want to do. Stunned you into submission. You have, you know, I'm thinking about when you watch political speeches and they have those meters on them to, to gauge how other listeners in a room hooked up to those, to those dials are reacting to it. It's the, the absolute opposite of that where I mean, I've got my own. I don't need to know what someone else is thinking or a group of, of people are thinking. Right. That's right. Now, but, now listen, but, I'm all for you taking your own thoughts and communicating them. Yeah. You know, you know, watch, watch the speech and, you know, write a, you know, flame and put it on your Facebook page or the like. I, I'm that that's part of what debate is all about. Right. That's that's good. That's healthy. But this notion uh, and, and we see it as such a good example. You just you, you just raised what we are being trained to do is to be a member of the crowd watching the crowd and then forming our opinions based on what's the crowd doing and it's 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 human it's natural it's normal it's 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 rational it's all those things it's also i think very bad when it comes to making decisions about your political participation but also your investing participation. Right? I, I think we need to be our own people. We need to have that, that, that freedom of thought that doesn't come from watching the crowd uh, because others have become, status quo institutions have become so good at presenting the crowd to us because they know we're, 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 it, we're hardwired to respond to it. You know, this is great, a, a friend of mine back in academia wrote this book about, um, and he used this example, it's called the jukebox effects. I think I may have mentioned this on, on one of these podcasts before. But you remember jukeboxes, right? They don't really exist much anymore. So but diners in New Jersey. The diners in New yeah. Jersey, right? Yeah. 
But uh, jukebox has made a bit of a comeback recently uh, because the jukebox manufacturers added one special feature. And that special feature was that when you go up to, to pick the music you want to play, they show you for this jukebox in this location, this is the most popular song. And not only does that song then get played more because, oh, it's popular, but the jukebox usage goes up because what you're signaling to people is this is a popular thing to do. Wow. It's, it's, it's brilliant. And, and I, want, I want all my... The, 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 the listeners to this, to think about the jukebox effect and how once you start looking for it, you see it everywhere. You see it in Donald Trump commenting about the crowd size, right? You see it in um, Spotify you know, sports. With, with music. You see it in sports. Yeah. You see it in spot. You see you, you see it. You see it everywhere. These are these are all modalities to use a ten dollar word designed to make the crowd look at the crowd. And it's something, you know, the, you know, Henry VIII knew, you know, back in the Tower of London. And it's something that politicians have known forever. It's just that we've gotten really, really good at it as the technology has improved. But now I want to use that technology to try to turn the table a little bit. And I think we can do it. I think we can do it. All right. I think that'll do it for us today. Very good. Thank you, Michael, as always. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, listeners. We'll see you next time. This commentary is being provided to you by individual personnel of Salient Partners LP and affiliates and is provided as general information only and should not be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in these materials represent the personal views of the author and do not necessarily represent the opinions of Salient. It is not investment research or research recommendation as it does not constitute substantive research or analysis. Any action that you take as a result of information contained in this podcast is ultimately your responsibility. Salient will not accept liability for any loss or damage, including without limitation to any loss of profit, which may arise directly or indirectly from use of or reliance on such information. Consult your investment advisor before making any investment decisions. It must be noted that no one can accurately predict the future of the market with certainty or guarantee future investment performance. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Salient is not responsible for any third-party content that may be accessed through this website. The distribution or photocopying of salient information contained on or downloaded from this site is strictly prohibited without the express written consent of salient. Statements in this podcast are forward-looking statements. The forward-looking statements and other views expressed herein are as of the date of this publication. Actual future results or occurrences may differ significantly from those anticipated in any forward-looking statements, and there is no guarantee that any predictions will come to pass. The views expressed herein are subject to change at any time due to numerous market and other factors. Salient disclaims any obligation to update publicly or revise any forward-looking statements or views expressed herein. This information is neither an offer to sell nor a solicitation of any offer to buy any securities. Any offering or solicitation will be made only to eligible investors and pursuant to any applicable private placement memorandum or other governing documents, all of which must be read in their entirety.
Salient commentary has been prepared without regard to the individual financial circumstances and objectives of persons who receive it. Salient recommends that investors independently evaluate particular investments and strategies and encourage investors to seek the advice of a financial advisor. The appropriateness of a particular investment or strategy will depend on an investor's individual circumstances and objectives.